Today on Blue 58, the Packers will welcome Mike McCarthy back to Lambeau Field this weekend. Is there a chance the Packers can pull the upset? Well, the fact that we're talking about the Packers pulling an upset at home means the answer is probably not something we're going to like. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. How do you preview a team like the 2022 Green Bay Packers? I know I kind of joke a lot about not always knowing how to do preview episodes because there's so much to cover. If you want to get a good grasp about what an opposing team is like, you've got to go deep get really in the weeds, and often really it comes down to just parsing injury reports to figure out who you're going to be playing against. And the fact that the Packers aren't very good complicates all of that. Because what even is this team to begin with? They are bad, yes, for sure. We've talked about that at length over the last month or so. But they're also kind of between two worlds, We know that the 2023 team is probably going to look very different from the 2022 Green Bay Packers. And right now, they are teetering on the brink of being forced to admit that it's time to focus on 2023. They can fight it here for a little while, but pretty soon they're going to have lost enough games where there's nothing left to play for this year. There's not going to even be mathematical reasons to to try to make the playoffs. They're just going to be out. So they're a team that's kind of waiting. And on top of that, we know that they're also a team that's pretty toothless. Things got better on the injury situation today. You got a few guys back for practice. But look at the Wednesday practice report. Guys not participating. Aaron Rodgers, David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, Rashawn Gary, Romeo Dobbs, Eric Stokes, Devondre Campbell, Sammy Watkins, Chris Barnes, Shamar Jean Charles. Even if some of those guys end up playing... That's a good chunk of the top end of your roster that's walking wounded. So again, I ask, how do you preview a game involving the 2022 Green Bay Packers? Because it's one thing to talk about what the opposing team is going to do, but you want to talk about how the Packers can counter it, how they can stop it, how they can make things interesting in this contest with the opposing team. And I don't think the Packers have the horses to do that right now with pretty much anybody. I mean, they just lost to the Lions, for goodness sake. So how do you talk about the Packers matching up against anybody? I don't really know. And here come the Cowboys, kind of on cruise control right now. Mike McCarthy in his third year with the Dallas Cowboys, and things are going well. Probably the peak of the Mike McCarthy experience right now for Dallas. When things were in their best in the Mike McCarthy area, in Green Bay, it seems like there were stretches like this for the Packers a lot. The Packers just heading to the bank every week, making deposits, but in another win. Not necessarily always pretty, not necessarily always great, but you always felt like they were going to win. They were going to be the favorite more often than not. And the Cowboys are a lot like that this year. The difference between the Packers of the McCarthy era and the Cowboys now of the well, the McCarthy era, I guess, is the Packers were doing it because of Aaron Rodgers and the Packers offense. The Cowboys are doing it because of a dynamic defense. They are third in scoring. They're good against the pass. They're not great against the run, but it hasn't mattered. And they're pummeling teams as a result. 
They've only got two games decided by a touchdown or less. They are 2-0 and in those games. But there's four other wins on their schedules where they've just hammered teams. There's not a lot of luck-based wins or losses. It's, it's just a solid, solid team. And they're playing well. Looking at their offense, Kellen Moore is running the show. He's a her- holdover from the Jason Garrett era. This is not the McCarthy offense. It's the it's the Kellen Moore offense. It's significantly different from what you saw in the uh, McCarthy era in Green Bay. Much more modern motion, play action, things like that. The man doing the damage for the Cowboys this year was supposed to be Dak Prescott, and it is, again, Dak Prescott. He was back from an injury earlier this season, was hurt in the very first game of the year. Sunday is just going to be his fourth start of the season, but in his previous three this season, he's been pretty darn good. He completed more than 75% of his passes in two of his three starts this year. In fact, his last two, uh, he's been been very, very good. Small sample size this year, so we can't say too much relative to how he's played in past seasons, but he's good. The Packers should expect a good gain from him. He's got a lot of good pieces around him. The offensive line, pretty solid for the Cowboys. They are 32nd in pass block win rate from ESPN. Looking at all the sources we typically go to for data on football teams on, on the offensive line in particular, that is an outlier. Uh, most of the numbers on the Cowboys' offensive line are very good. They are seventh in run block win rate from ESPN. They are ninth in adjusted line yards from ESPN or from Football Outsiders. That means their their offensive line is blocking well for their running backs. They are seventh in adjusted sack rate, not giving up a ton of sacks. Twenty second in pass block grade from Pro Football Focus, and fifth in run block grade. Returning to our game of find the donkey on the offensive line among their their regulars, left tackle Tyler Smith has the worst grades across the board. The problem is, how do you attack him? Even suggesting that he is bad, bad is a relative term, who would you use to attack a weak spot on the Cowboys' offensive line right now? Rashawn Gary is going to be out for the foreseeable future, potentially into next year. Preston Smith has been a good complimentary pass rusher this year and really throughout his time in Green Bay. He's not necessarily the guy that you would stick on a weak opponent and ask him to win the matchup. Beyond that, you're looking at J.J. Nagbari and not a whole lot else. Tipa Naliai time. Time to turn Jonathan Garvin loose. Ladarius Hamilton going to get some burn this weekend. The cupboard's pretty bare among the pass rushers, and I'm not sure the Packers can take advantage of any even supposed weaknesses on the Cowboys' offensive line. Through the air for the Cowboys, C.D. Lamb is the guy. 73 targets so far this year. Nobody else has more than 40. 42 catches so far this year. Nobody else has more than 25. 556 yards so far this year. Nobody else has more more than 340. I will also be keeping an eye on Michael Gallup, uh, an interesting player for uh, the Cowboys, uh, because he's really finding his way at this point in the season back to his form. Uh, He was about to hit free agency last year at age 25. Perfect, perfect time for a guy who's put up a lot of good numbers in Dallas to be hitting the, the open free agent market. But unfortunately, he tore his ACL in the Cowboys' second to last game of the regular season last year. Ended up re-signing with the Cowboys for less than he probably could have made on the open market. Still a pretty generous free agent deal, but wasn't able to, to hit his maximum. Would have been probably one of the two or three best free agent options uh, on the market, but wasn't able to get to the to, to free agency. Bummer for him. 
Uh, he didn't make his debut this year until week four, and it's kind of been easing his way back into the lineup since then. Very good number two receiver. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how the Packers end up figuring him out in addition to C.D. Lamb because it's two good options through the air for the Cowboys. On the ground, you're going to hear about Ezekiel Elliott. You should worry about Tony Pollard. Why? How about this? He's got 68 more yards than Ezekiel Elliott on 26 fewer carries. He's averaging 6.2 yards per carry on the ground. And he contributes more in the passing game than Elliott does by a, a, a long way. So if there's a guy that you should be worried about in the ground game, it's going to be Pollard more than Elliott. So how do the Packers slow down the Cowboys' offense? For me, I would probably start with prayer right now. That would be the, the main way I would, I would approach this game because I just don't think the Packers have the pieces in place to slow down the Cowboys right now. They don't have Rashawn Gary. They don't have Eric Stokes. And Stokes has had a, a down year here but he's still one of their top three or four corners. It's, it's going to be a problem figuring out your cornerback rotation. Uh, even if you like Keyshawn Nixon, and I do, having him on the field means that somebody has to step up beyond him if you're going with a fourth cornerback. And who is that person? Well, probably Shamar John Charles. He too is hurt. You see what I'm saying? You get pretty far down the depth chart there in a hurry you start running out of bodies to throw at their opposing receivers. That is going to be a problem. So I think you start by trying to slow down Tony Pollard. Then you worry about CeeDee Lamb. Then hope for the best elsewhere. That hope is the third option on my, on my how do you stop the Cowboys offense you know, tip sheet here. Is, is, it says a lot about where the Packers are defensively right now. On the Cowboys' defense, Dan Quinn is calling the shots there. He is a cover three Pete Carroll disciple. They've got elite players all over the the place, so it really doesn't matter schematically what they're going to do. And in fact, I would like to skip out on talking about their specific pass defense or run defense and just talk for a second about Micah Parsons because he is a category of football player that I find truly fascinating. He was one of my favorite players from the 2021 draft class just because of what he did athletically and his sort of undefinability as a player, because he is impossibly good. And it's not that he doesn't have a position. Nominally, he's a linebacker. Schematically, you can call him an edge rusher. But no matter what his position actually is, it doesn't matter. It's not that he doesn't have one. It's that you can line him up anywhere, and he's going to be good. He's just going to make plays wherever he is. And that is a rare kind of football player in NFL history. You know, he draws comparisons to to Lawrence Taylor a whole lot. I don't know about that, but it's you can see why people would think that. Was LT an outside linebacker? Was he a defensive end? Was he a defensive lineman? It didn't matter because he was going to get to the quarterback. He was going to make plays, and he did. And Micah Parsons is that kind of player. Is he as good as LT? Doesn't matter. Uh, He's really, really good. And he can do whatever you need him to do to make your defense better. And boy, does he make the Cowboys' defense a lot better. Where, though, can the Packers attack? Well, if there is a weakness to this Cowboys' defense, it's this. They're not spectacular against the run. And I think some of that kind of thing is overblown. 
because if you're a good team, people are going to play against you differently than if you're a bad team. And we saw that a little bit with the Bills. Their run defense, I think, was inflated because of... uh, because of the way that they've played against teams this year, people just haven't been able to run against them a whole lot because it would have been foolish to do so. I'd, the Cowboys have a different problem, is that they're they're giving up yards still, even though they've been ahead a whole bunch. But it, it is a weakness, and, and maybe a weakness that the Packers can exploit on Sunday. How do the Packers exploit that? Well, I think they have to play teams, play the Cowboys, the same way that teams that beat the Packers earlier this season played against the Packers. You've got to hammer away with the run, hope to keep it close, hope to score enough to keep it close, keep them out of the end zone, and then who knows what happens. If you're able to keep things close, keep it to a one-possession game late, hey, you never know. Things maybe break your way, and... Maybe a steal a win. I'm not counting on that. But stranger things have happened. The last time the Packers saw the Cowboys was all the way back in 2019. And I was thinking about how to write about this for uh, Acme Packing Company. I do this retrospective on the last time two teams played uh, every time they face an opponent. And the Packers last played the Cowboys back in 2019, week five of Matt LaFleur's first season with the Packers. And it's funny how much has changed since then. For one thing, 2019, Matt LaFleur is a rookie head coach. Now, he is one of the 10 longest tenured coaches in the NFL. He was hired on the same day as Cliff Kingsbury back in 2019, January 8th, as a matter of fact. As of this week, there were 10 coaches who had been around longer than Kingsbury and LaFleur. Frank Reich has since been fired. They're moving up the list. But they're among the uh, the old heads in the NFL right now. And it feels like that a little bit. It feels like LaFleur has been here for a long time. We've had three good seasons, three good regular seasons, a couple deep playoff runs, one distressingly short playoff run. But, hey, he's been around for a while. And that 2019 Packers-Cowboys matchup was probably the early signature win of the LaFleur era because the Packers come in at 3-1, and one, the Cowboys were 3-1, and one, and they were off to a pretty hot start. But the Packers really took care of business, and it started by turning loose Aaron Jones. One of the best games of his career back in 2019, 26 touches, 19 carries, 7 catches, 182 total yards, 4 rushing touchdowns, a great game. And he did it uh, despite the Packers losing Corey Lindsley midway through the game to a concussion. Lucas Patrick takes over, had a couple memorable plays, including one shotgun snap that was so bad that they called it in-game as a direct snap to Lucas Patrick, or to, uh, to Aaron Jones. Meanwhile, on defense, the Packers took bend but don't break to an extreme. Because while they were building a big lead throughout the first half and most of the third quarter, the Cowboys were still putting up quite a few yards. And Amari Cooper ends up having more than 200 yards receiving. Uh, Michael Gallup had more than 100. And the Cowboys still couldn't score enough to keep it within 10 points. Zadaria Smith, two sacks. Preston Smith, a sack. And a pick each for Jair Alexander, Shannon Sullivan, and Kevin King. And, it, and specifically, I wanted to call out Kevin King in this game because he had 
probably his best statistical game as a member of the Green Bay Packers, which is a weird thing to say. He had an interception. He had two passes defensed, six solo tackles, and a forced fumble. Stuffing the stat sheet, Kevin King. And you know when it's Kevin King taking over, you're probably in trouble as the opposing team. Things are a little bit different now. Not really so much an even matchup between the Cowboys and the Packers. And in fact, it would really be surprising, I think, to see the Packers pull the upset in this one. If there is a path to victory, though, it's uh, it starts with the Packers running the ball. I would love to see Aaron Jones go over 20 carries in this one. I don't know if he's able to do that. He's got a bad ankle, and let's hope that... Uh, he can be solid enough to go for Sunday because I think the Packers need a guy like him more than a guy like A.J. Dillon to really pound away at this defense. You need more the slasher Aaron Jones than the pounder A.J. Dillon. Still, having both of them active and ready to go would be great, and that could help keep this game a little bit closer than it otherwise would be. Then on defense, stop Tony Pollard, slow down CeeDee Lamb, try to stop the bleeding elsewhere. Those are the two guys that scare me most on the Dallas offense. If you can at least slow those two guys down and force other guys to beat you, I'm happy with that. Because I'm not really expecting the Packers to win. Consider how much of an underdog the Packers actually are. Right now, it looks like the line is about Cowboys by four. Somewhere between three and a half and four and a half. And considering that the home team usually gets a three to three and a half point bump just by the fact that they're at home, Las Vegas essentially likes the Cowboys by a touchdown over the Packers. That is a strange place for the Packers to be in the Aaron Rodgers era, in the Matt LaFleur era. Just in general, you don't see the Packers as big home dogs. And I think it's justified. Thinking back to last week's game, the Packers down eight at halftime. And that lead felt absolutely insurmountable. It felt impossible, to me at least, watching at home, for the Packers to outscore the Lions by eight points and a half. I just don't think they can do that against an even better team. Even better. I say that like the Lions are on a comparable level to the Cowboys. I don't think the Packers can do that against a good team. And the Cowboys seem like a pretty good team this year. And most everybody is on my side of things, too. And according to our weekly Twitter poll, 20% of people believe the Packers can win this weekend. That is an all-time low. We talked a couple weeks back about how only about 21, almost 22% of voters thought the Packers could beat the Bills and how big a deal that was relative to our, our all-time records and things like that. Things are even worse now. One in five Packers fans thinks the Packers can beat the Cowboys on Sunday. It's a tough time. It's a strange time. And it's it's funny that it's going to come against Mike McCarthy. I think back to that weekend a lot, that weekend he was fired. That game against the, Cow- the, the Cardinals was just so lifeless and listless that I was surprised that there were so many people up in arms about McCarthy being fired. You talked about, you you had a lot of people talking about how 
he should have been allowed to finish out the season or this, that, and the other thing. Like, he earned the right to go out on something resembling his own terms. The utter lifelessness of the Packers against the Cardinals that day, I think, justified firing him. He he should have been fired for that performance. It was bad. It was It was extremely bad. And I don't know that, well, hey, he won a Super Bowl eight years ago is even close to enough of a defense of that kind of performance. I mean, you're supposed to get your team ready to play, and the Cowboy or the Packers were simply not ready to play that day. And to think about what both sides here have gone through since then, it it just is strange to think back on, on where things were that day. Mike McCarthy is out of football for a year, ends up with... Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys. It's I I know that you're not adopting the values of an organization when you go to work there, but it feels if it's still even now feels strange to see McCarthy, this uh, affable you know big somewhat lovable guy, working for for Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys. Always a little bit of the evil empire. Um, vibe there. And I I don't think that's something they shy away from. Sure, they, they talk about being America's team, but they also like being kind of the big bad, too. Jerry Jones likes that sort of atmosphere around his team. It's not the Raiders. It's a different sort of thing. It's more like the, the big, powerful businessman. I think that's that's how he views himself, because that's that's kind of what he is. And it's funny to see Mike McCarthy there and being fairly successful, highly successful, maybe even. Uh, and in the meantime, back in Green Bay, you get the, the relative unknown, Matt LaFleur taking over, getting Aaron Rodgers and the Packers kind of in shape. Two MVPs for Rodgers, two trips to the NFC Championship game, and disappointment, frustration. And now a season that is in a lot of ways not all that dissimilar from 2018. A head coach and a quarterback and in some ways not on the same page. Struggling despite talent on both sides of the ball. Here we are again, out on another end of this cycle. I don't think Matt LaFleur is in any danger of being fired as he walks off the field again, but it's just funny to see the Packers ending up almost back where they were before Mike McCarthy left or was escorted out of town. And now here comes Mike McCarthy again. I'm expecting the Packers to lose on Sunday. And I'm okay with that. I'm just hoping to see them be a little bit more interesting than they've been for most of this past now month plus. That's how low the bar is for entertaining football for me right now, I guess. I just want to see a little bit more from the Packers than we've seen in some time. But hey, beggars can't be choosers. And I guess when you're when you're begging it, it, it pays to not ask for very much. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it too. That would uh, mean a lot to me and it would help pe- more people get involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.